My name is Jamie Strickland, one of the pastors here at West Highland, and uh, I am excited for what's about to take place right now. You are uh, here as the congregation here, and you're about to witness five people give their testimonies about how God has been at work in their life and how God has saved them. And following their testimonies, we'll get to witness them publicly professing that faith in Christ by following Jesus into the waters of baptism. And uh, the Bible speaks a lot to baptism. Uh, one of the places that does speak to baptism is in Romans chapter 6. And I just want to read a few verses for you just to give you an introduction to what baptism is and what we're about to do here this morning together. So Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 5 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so baptism this morning is, is a couple of things. One, it's a sign or a symbol. It's, it's, it's a public demonstration of what it means as someone is united with Christ in his death as they go down into the water. And this is one of the reasons why we here at West Highland believe that the Bible teaches baptism to be by immersion in the water because we're symbolizing that the person who is being baptized is being united with Christ in his death, but that they're also then being united with Christ in his resurrection as they come out of the water as well. So it's a visible sign of what the, what an inward reality of what has happened within us. We, have, we are united with Christ in his death and we'll be united with him one day in his resurrection as well. So it's a sign, but it's also a personal public declaration. Each person's going to be coming up here and not sharing a story of how, how their parents chose for them to be baptized, but how God has been at work in their life such that they are choosing to follow the Lord Jesus themselves. And we're not doing this privately in a back room somewhere. We're doing it publicly because it's a public declaration of these individuals' faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm really excited to be a part of the service, and I, I, I hope you guys are as well. And Following, uh, as I go to sit down now, we'll invite each of these people who are being baptized to share their story of how God has been at work in their life. My name is Sarah, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I never had God-fearing parents who raised me to love Jesus, and I was not lucky enough to be surrounded by a good Christian community. I grew up in an environment that most people have only seen or heard from in movies. I grew up in a divorced family filled with trials and darkness, and I went through life hating what I thought religion was. I had a pretty dark and traumatic life. Now, I'm not saying this to make you guys feel bad for me, and no, I will not go into details or trauma dump up here, but I want to make it clear that I grew up with and developed a very different point of view of what I thought life was. This didn't mean I never had love, laughter, happiness, or joy. I did, but it was never fulfilling. Even the happiness I always felt was just a little empty and a little lonely. Uh, I did not choose to live my life the right way most of the time. I took the hard path through childhood, teenage years, college, and even early adulthood. I struggled with the deep questions of life, and no matter how much I tried, and trust me, I tried. I could not find the answers I was looking for. I looked into spirituality, being liberal, the special shiny rocks, astrology, Buddhism, quantum mechanics of the universe, the multiverse theory, I even started to read the Quran, and I came up empty every time. I looked towards the world for my answers and came up more battered and broken than when I went in. But I wouldn't change it, because God has already started to use that part of me, and I feel he will continue to. I have a lot of great people in my life now that have come to West Highland and taken a leap of faith. But before that, I only had one person, and her name was Terry. She never left my side. She picked me up and saved me from dangerous situations. She invited me to live in her home when I was practically a stranger. She st shared her faith with me endlessly and never let my beliefs hurt our friendship or suppress her love for Jesus. She answered all the questions I had as best as she could, and she's been my cheerleader ever since I came to faith. I thank God so deeply for her. I believe he sent me to her so I could see what God's grace truly is, so I could feel what true love, mercy, and forgiveness is. She's been with me through so much, and no matter how dark or sinful I got, she never abandoned me. She helped me with, through it without fail, even when she didn't realize. 
She's the role model for me to see how, a biblical, how to live as a biblical loving woman. She was the person who planted the, seed of, <laughs> planted the seed of faith in my life before walking with God. Writing out the different versions of what I was going to say out here today, let me see how God, even though I did not know him or know his power, always came back for me. Like I said earlier, I don't say all this to make people feel bad for me and my sin-filled past. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that doesn't matter anymore. She died. She's gone. There's no reason to grieve for her. I say this because our paths are all very different. Not all of them are shiny or straightforward, but each of our paths we get to see how amazing our God is and how loving he is, how he comes for all of us, sinners, us. He comes for us, he saves us, and he fills us with his love and light. He and only he can provide us with our true fulfillment. He makes us so that we're never truly alone. Now I'm not standing up here saying, come to faith and all the bad in your life will be magically gone and you'll only know happiness and no hardship. It's not true. I'm saying this even though I'm currently going through hardships, some of the hardest times of my life. For the first time in my life, I can know that A, it's not in my hands and he's taking care of it. B, that I'm never alone, that he is with me the whole way and has brought me to a safe and loving community. And C, I, the very slow to trusting person I am, can finally trust in someone who's not myself. I can put my full trust in him. I know I say this a lot, and I'm sorry I'm saying it now, but all of the good in me is God, and all of the bad in me he's working on in his own divine timing. It's the same for everyone in this room too. So thank you for being here and listening and witnessing my baptism. But more importantly, thank you God for chasing after me. Thank you God for chasing after all of us, taking us in, Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. From the beginning of Eden, God has always loved and pursued us, and he will continue to pursue us through the love of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. Thank you. Uh, hi, I'm Brayden, and uh, before coming to faith in the Messiah, I always had an idea that there was a God, but my view of that God wasn't a personal one. That led me to many different weird spiritual practices like Buddha-style meditation and other New Age practices. Then about a year ago, a year and a half ago, I started looking into debates on YouTube about Christianity. And I was still very skeptical, but uh, I was still very skeptical about the claim of God coming down in the flesh and dying for the sins of humanity. I truly didn't understand or I couldn't contextualize why he would have to do that until I started to notice evil in the world, true evil. Before, I, I couldn't conceptualize why he had to die for the sins of humanity. And due, due to the fact that I viewed humanity as altogether good with only some bad apples. But only after I examined my own actions and actions of people around me did I notice how depraved everyone truly was. And then I finally came to understand the need for a savior. Seeing how, see, seeing how the root cause of almost all the world's ills is the same problem that is sin made me see the need for the Messiah. So I put my faith in Christ and almost instantly I felt that peace. Before I had a very short temper, which I believe came from my lack of a purpose. And once I found my new purpose in Christ Jesus, I noticed, my daily life, I noticed in my daily life I began to gain more patience. That is just one of the many things that Christ has done in my life and has changed in my life which is why today I decided to be baptized, to signify that change that he has done in my life and to profess my faith in Jesus. So thank you for coming out and witnessing my baptism. One of the verses that gives me great assurance is John 10, 27 to 29. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Good morning, West Highland. Uh, my name is Ella and I am 14 years old. I've been coming to West Highland for as long as I can remember, going to Overcomers with my grandma when my grandpa was sick. Um, after my grandpa passed away when I was five, I started to come to church regularly with my grandma. In 2017, I attended a summer camp called Maple Grove Christian Camp, and that was when I first remember really knowing Jesus and what he did for me. So after that week of camp, I accepted Jesus into my heart and as my savior. For the next few years, I attended church regularly. Then came grade seven, and that was the year I started the youth group here. I don't know what I would do without my youth group family. They have shown me who Jesus is in a whole different way and helped me look at my faith in a different way too. 
I made great new friends who helped me grow in my faith and my relationship with Jesus, and I am forever grateful for all of the youth leaders who put their heart and souls into the kids they teach and help, including me. For the past couple of months, I have been listening to Pastor Duane, and every time he speaks, I think to myself, how does he know? His preaching has just been so encouraging to me, and it's telling me that I'm not the only one going through these things on my path with Jesus. My life has been forever changed since I accepted Jesus as my Savior. He has shown me the love and grace that he promised me, a man that never sinned, never did any wrong, and he sacrificed himself on a cross to save someone who wasn't even born yet. That someone is me, and I can't express in words how grateful I am for that. So today, I am obeying his wish for every follower of him to be baptized. Matthew 28, verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to be baptized today to obey his command to be baptized and to profess to everyone here that I have a saving relationship with Jesus. Before I finish, I'd like to share a bit of scripture with you. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And Jonah 2, verse 7, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Thank you. Hello, my name is Landon, and I am 10 years young. I accepted Christ into my life when I was five years old. I was in my living room with my mom, and I said, I am tired of sinning, and I want to stop. My mom explained that you cannot stop sinning, but you can be saved from your sin, and that is by accepting Christ into your life. Then we prayed together. Since choosing to follow Christ, I have been more aware of my sin and the Holy Spirit in me. I also pray a lot more. Today I have come to be baptized because I have been praying for months and I have felt the Lord calling me to, and I want to follow his commands. Today I'll close with the very first verse I memorized. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. John 14:6. Hello, my name is Ayman Kasa and I'm from Sudan. I was born to Orthodox parents, and I grew up in a multi-religion family, with some of my relatives being Muslim. My, sibling, my siblings and I were baptized as a children within the Orthodox Christian tradition. In our region, there were no evangelical church. Only Orthodox and Catholic church were presented. Additionally, we attend government school, and we were supposed to study Islam. In school, we identify us as a Muslim, but at home and church, we were Orthodox. I lived this situation until March 1993, when a group of young people from another city come to initiate a spiritual revival in our town. My father requests that I attend one of their meetings. At the first, I resist, but eventually I went to please my father. In that meeting, God spoke to me clearly. God spoke to me clearly. Although I, that I didn't recognize it a voice of God. At the moment, I reflect on how far I was from God and I asked him to change my life, and I accept him as my personal savior. From that day, my life changed, and I developed close relationship with God. I felt in peace I had been missing, especially, especially when I think, especially when I think about death and where my attorney would be. From form, we formed a small group of young people and we met as a house church for three years. I began to pray for my family so that they also accept Jesus as their personal savior. As mentioned in Acts 16:31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Thanks God. My father, mother, and sibling come to, to know Christ and became follower of Jesus. I continue to pray for my Muslim relative to know him, to, to know him as well. From that time, I start studying, learning more about Islam to engage with my Muslim family and friends, which eventually ignited my love for serving among Muslim people in my home. When I was baptized as a child, 
I did not understand what I was doing. But now I realize that baptized is simply action of my inward reality. Jesus being the Lord of my life, and I have died of my old self, and I be raised to new life in him. I have been cleansed from all my sin and by being baptized. I am publicly identified with Jesus Christ and his people. Thanks, Okay, well, Sarah, thank you so much for your profession of faith. Getting to know you over the past several months, seeing the vibrancy of your faith and how eagerly you want to just learn about Jesus and follow him, it has been just a beautiful thing. I'm so glad that you're taking this step, that you're publicly, you know, uniting yourself to Christ in this action and that you can now, you know, just continue serving him for the rest of your life. Based then on your profession of faith, I, oh, there we go. <laughs> I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Braden. When I met you a couple months ago, it became very clear that you were just on fire for Jesus. Just talking about him, you couldn't stop talking about him for just what seemed like an hour. It was beautiful. It was, it was really amazing. Um, getting to know you further since then, seeing your desire to share the gospel and to make the word of Jesus known, it has just been an amazing thing. And I pray that that will stay with you for your entire life. Uh, because then of your profession of faith, it is now my honor. <laughs> to, ba <clears throat> to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ella, it was great to hear your testimony, and um, it's been so cool seeing so many of our young people growing in their faith and getting baptized. You mentioned your your youth group family and it's just so cool I remember when I was growing up in the church having a youth group family that really helped me walk uh, with Christ and uh, so I'm excited that you are not only getting baptized this morning but you have people that you can walk with in life through so based on your profession of faith it's now my privilege to honor to baptize you in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit great to get to know you and your family over the past uh, few years as I've been new to West Highland. I think your family came to West Highland around the same time and uh, seeing you running around kids club and growing in your faith, seeing you running around your leaf jersey also brings uh, joy to my heart and, uh, and so it's just so cool to hear you, you share your testimony and even that you're already memorizing scripture and so based on your profession of faith it's now my privilege to honor you or to baptize you <laughs> in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's been uh, good to get to know you as well, and I think we first met at one of those lunches after um, uh, one of the, the, the outdoor family uh, events where uh, you were sitting at a table and got to know you and some of your family that were visiting. And just to get to know you as well through the First Steps class, hear your heart, even as you shared this morning, your heart to see your family members and um, people from all over the world come to faith in Christ. It's just, uh, it's really cool. And just hearing that you now uh, want to demonstrate that through the, the visual representation of baptism uh, is, is wonderful. And so, based on your profession of faith, uh, I will now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning. My name is Bethany Veenstra, and today I'm standing before you as a living testimony of my faith in Jesus and how he's transformed my life through his saving grace. 
During my childhood, my life was surrounded by a Christian community with parents who loved the Lord and a family actively involved in church life. I attended a CRC church where I was baptized as an infant and where I grew in my knowledge of the gospel. Due to this faith-filled upbringing, I do not recall when I accepted Christ, but I can stand here with certainty that I am saved and have been forgiven through his death and resurrection on the cross. However, during my elementary and high school years, my faith was not one of boldness and surrender, but more like following the Christian manual influenced by the people around me. God worked through these years by guiding my friendships, closing doors that led to destruction, helping me overcome workplace bullying, and leading me to Redeemer University. At this school, God kept breathing new life into me. I met Christ-centered girls who intentionally pursued the Lord and His Word. My faith became independent of my parents, and I learned what it's like to feel peace when there shouldn't be any. God used these moments to break down the idols I was relying on outside of Him and to focus my eyes on Jesus, the only firm foundation to build my life on. Many times during these years, I would lean on Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, that states, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Today, I'm getting baptized to show the work of Christ in my life and to be a living testimony to those around me. I'm not perfect, but the God I serve is, and it's only through His work in my life and glory to Him that I'm being baptized before you today. Thank you. Hello, my name is Lucas Ecker, and for those unaware, which is none of you, I'm the youngest of nine children, and I've been attending uh, West Town for 13 years, and I've been fortunate to grow up in a family with a deep spiritual foundation. Growing up, I would often hear my family discuss biblical and theological things, and I would be taught from the Bible at church, but didn't understand, nor did I care for it either. When I was seven years old, I believe I'd come um, know Christ, but I didn't really understand salvation at the time, only had repented because it, um, it felt like he was heavily encouraged to do so in church. It wasn't until I was 12 years old when I was reading James with my brother Owen that I developed a desire to follow Jesus. It was then when I asked to receive the Lord's gift of salvation and for him to change me. I started it to realize that I needed to be serious about my faith and my life and I couldn't just do whatever I wanted and that faith required action. I knew that I was not living a life that was what the Lord commanded of me and I started to develop a desire to read his word and know him more. As a result, I came to faith in Christ and turned away from my sin by acknowledging my sin and need for a Savior. Since then, I have prayed to be an example of a Christ follower for others and to serve others. I have also grown and changed. Instead of just doing whatever I want to do all day, I have started to pray and read God's word more. And I want to live for Jesus and want the Spirit to work in me further. Although I am young in my faith and I realize that I am work in progress, I will continually be sanctified throughout my life. I'm here today to proclaim that I have a relationship with Christ and that I want to follow his commandment that we are to be baptized. I'd like to end on a verse that stuck out to me. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14 says, Let all you do be done in love. As I continue to grow, I pray that the Lord will change me to be more loving to others as I share the message of the gospel. Hello, my name is Zachary Harrison and I've been blessed to, grow, to have grown up in a Christian home and I've been taught the Bible all my life. I don't remember the first time I prayed for Jesus to come into my heart to save me, but I know that Jesus is in my heart. At our, at our old church, my Sunday school teacher taught my, taught my brother and I Bible stories being completely immersed into the story by crafts and play. These lessons, through these lessons, God's love came through, and I can pull these reminders when I need God's help or encouragement. In, 29, in 2019, my, our family started to attend West Highland part-time. Part it, it has really helped my faith grow. I started to take my faith seriously about a, about a year ago when I started junior high, the people at the youth ministry here showed me what it means to live as a Christian. Being, LIT for, being an LIT for camp this past summer was a major factor in my growth and reliance on Christ. With Dylan discipling me this summer, he helped show me things in the Bible that I didn't know and show me what the Word of God is about. And I learned a lot. We also got, also got to do some street ministry, and we were able to show God's love to people at Gore Park. That was pretty cool. Outside of church, there is something else. My best friends at school are strong atheists, and I've had countless conversations and arguments with them. God has always given me strength and patience to stay with them, so much so that I've invited them to come to youth and Sunday services often. The best thing is when my cousin Eric came on a, to a communion Sunday and came to faith this summer. 
I know my strength through God will help me disciple him into a strong Christian. At the end of the, at the, end of the school, at the end of the last school last year, we had a project on someone who should get more credit than they do. I did my project on the Apostle Paul because I wanted to tell people about someone who didn't believe and persecuted Christians, yet turned into one of the most influential people for Christians as a whole. I wanted to stay with my friends to show them, show them Christ in my life and show him to them. The reason I want to be baptized is to follow Jesus' commandments because I know I am a sinner, and the only grace in my life is the grace given, given to me by God. Jesus' footprints aren't easy to follow. I am a sinner, and I stumble often and fall often. But being baptized, I can show my faith in Jesus to people who don't know him so that they can see what it means to follow the one true God. In Romans 12, 9, 21, Paul talks about love and action. It says not to be mean to people, even ones that persecute you, but to bless them. This passage, ha this passage, I like this passage as it reflects my life, and I try to live by it the best I can. And I believe that the God, I believe we all should, and I pray that God will help me do this in my life so I can spread his gospel. Good morning. My name is Maddie Wouters. I am 14 years old, and I was born into a Christian family. I have been attending West Highland my whole life. I attended Star Kids every Sunday morning since I can remember. I went to kids clubs on Tuesday nights and participated in the kids musicals and plays. Now that I'm a bit older, I get to be a leader in the kids programs on Sundays and Tuesdays and in camp during the summers. I love the youth group here at West Highland. I love being with my friends and learning about the gospel together. When I was seven years old, I accepted Christ into my life. I remember realizing that I was a sinner and needed saving. I prayed one night in my bed with my mom and asked God to forgive me of my sins and asked Jesus to come into my life. I love the verse in the book of Galatians chapter 2 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer who I live, but in Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live in, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I want to live for him, serve him, and show his love to others. In the years since I gave my life to Jesus, life hasn't always been easy. I've had to rely on God through some really tough times, but I know that God will always be there for me when I need him. Today, I want to be baptized as an act of obedience, doing what Jesus told us to do. I want to show the world that I belong to him. Hello, my name is Bruno Nichelle, and I, today I'm getting baptized. I'm originally from Brazil, and I came to Canada a little over six years ago. I was lucky to be born into a loving Christian family. My parents took me to church every Sunday, and I made quite a few friends there. But I never really had a relationship with Jesus. I was hanging out with friends who only harmed my relationship with God, and I was spending more time, more time on my phone than with God. I still do, but I'm trying to do better. I came to West Highland almost four years ago, and here I made some of my closest friends and best memories. I also had lots of opportunities to serve Jesus and my community. A few years ago in 2021 is when I started building my relationship with Christ. It was at one of the summer camps here and it felt like something was calling to me. I prayed with one of my leaders and have started following him ever since then. But it hasn't been an easy journey. A few years ago, my sister was diagnosed with epilepsy and started experiencing seizures. When it first happened, it was one of the scariest experiences in my, in my life, and it was hard to believe that God was in control. Recently, she had a surgery that was supposed to cure it. I was worried, but this time I trusted in God and knew he was in control. Thankfully, the surgery was a success, and she is recovering very well. Since I became a follower of Christ, I felt like I have been slower to anger, quicker to forgive, and quicker to listen. If I really want to call myself a disciple of Christ, I, then I need to take the step of obedience to get baptized. There is no reason for me to delay any longer. I would like to end with a verse from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know that being baptized does not mean I will never sin again, but I know that when I do fall short, Jesus will still love me and forgive me. Thank you, and God bless. Well, I got to know Bethany a little bit this past summer as she was one of our interns and in working in the Star Kids area. So she, I've seen how she's got a heart to serve the Lord and, uh, and to love the children of our church. And uh, all summer, Bethany, I saw that you were kind of just serving with joy and gladness, even though, you know, sometimes working at a church in the summer isn't the easiest job. But um, 
But yeah, you really did it with, with joy and perseverance, and so I really appreciate that about you. And so after hearing your testimony, it's now uh, my uh, privilege to baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lucas Ecker. Now, Lucas, we hung out a lot at Temple Mead School because that's where you went to elementary school and that's where my boys also went to public school. So often when I was dropping off Blazer Head and I'd walk by and I'd see Lucas run up to me and give me like this massive high five and my hand would just be stinging and ringing from uh, how hard that high five was. And, uh, but it was always good to see you and you're just fill, filled with joy and I've even seen the last year how you have really grown in the Lord and uh, your desire to know him better, know his word more. And so um, it's been great to see you growing. And so now it's my privilege to now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Zach, it is so great to have you here today, taking the step of baptism, hearing about your desire to share your faith with your friends at, at school, with your family. It's, it's just incredible. And I'm so glad that God has given you this faith at such a, such a young age. I'm really excited to see how he just grows you into a man of God over the coming years. Uh, now, due to your profession of faith, it is my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maddie, it's been so cool to see you grow up over the past number of years. Um, yeah, for many of you, if you don't know, our families are, are quite close and good friends, and so it's just been a privilege to see Maddie grow as a young lady, but also in her walk with God. And it's just been also in your testimony, you shared about how you're serving in so many different areas of the church. And it's love seeing your heart for the kids, for, seeing, for showing just the love of Christ to them. And uh, yeah, God's work at your life in your life is evident in the way that you serve him here at the church. And so I'm excited now to be able to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Bruno and I have formed a lot of memories together, so I'm just give you two as a picture of who he is, okay? One, there was this one time in the summer where he took his phone and he was like, does this fit here? And it did and he dropped it and we couldn't get it back because it was under this thing there. So when he was saying he was very obsessed with his phone, he was very sad, but then he grew and got a new phone, so it was good. <laughs> Second one is that it's, dope, like, it's not just youth ministry that I've gone to know Bruno, he was part of our first community group and I still remember him sitting on the windowsill uh, discussing everything that we were talking about. Here, move forward. <laughs> You're okay. But I'm not going to say what happens next. Um, and those are just things that I've known of Bruno and seeing him grow. And man, I'm just so excited for the ways you're following Jesus, seeing who he is, reflecting that, and sharing that love with the world, man. Man. Wow. Yeah. So excited for you. Because of your profession of faith, Bruno. We now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love is I love dumb crook stories. And some of you are old enough to remember Uncle John's bathroom reader. It was a fantastic bathroom book. And in the book, there were dumb crook stories. And though I think of a criminal in Arkansas, he went up to a, what he thought was an armored truck. He had a sawed-off shotgun. He told the men driving the truck to get out. They did. He and his accomplice got in, and they drove off. But what he didn't know was he had just stolen a Bull America truck full of mop heads. It looked like an armored truck, but it wasn't one. 
And so the men called the police and said, someone just stole our mop heads, can you get them back? And he was soon arrested. I take you from there to Alaska where Michael Nash went into a local bank. He held the bank teller a note that said, this is a robbery, put all the money in the bag and I will walk out. She did, he walked out, she turned the note over. It had his name and date of birth on the other side of the note. He was arrested shortly after. <laughs> Sorry. Florida, Johnny Yates, this is one of my favorite ones. Johnny Yates, he was uh, convicted and they were looking to arrest him and they had his address when they got to his house. There's a picture of this on the internet. This was just last month. There's a big sign in his window that says, Johnny Yates does not underlined live here. And that's where he lived. And then lastly, this is Toronto. This is about 20 years ago. A young man had been watching a house in a wealthy area. He'd been looking at it, watching it, you know, waiting for the family to leave on holidays over Christmas. He saw them leave one night and then he broke in. What he hadn't accounted for was the wife of the family had stayed one more night and was flying out the next day. He breaks in, she's there, she's terrified. She says, don't hurt me. He says, I won't hurt you, I just want money. She says, I have none, I have no money. And he says, well, I need money. And she says, I could write a check. <laughs> and he says, that's great. She said, how about a thousand? He said, well, that's more than I thought I'd get, perfect. And uh, she says, what's your name? How do I spell it? And uh, the police arrested him shortly after. I love dumb crook stories. And if you follow the life of our Savior at all, our Savior Jesus, God the Son, when he incarnated himself, he's born among the animals. He's born among the animals. And he dies between two criminals. That's his life. He's born among the animals in a stable place in a manger. It's an atrocious place. It's a smelly place. It's a barn. I worked on farms growing up. I baled hay. I castrated pigs. We did that in the barn. The barn was disgusting. That's where Jesus was born, in a barn. He's born between the animals, and he dies between the criminals. If you're a guest this morning, maybe someone who's come to visit for the first time, or maybe you're here for the baptisms, we've been going through a series at West Highland called Encountering Jesus where we're taking a look at various moments in his life where Jesus encounters someone and what that interaction looks like. Today I take you to Jesus on the cross, Luke 23. If you have your Bibles, you can either open them up or turn them on to Luke 23, beginning at verse 32. The Word of God says this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I'll pause there. The cross was a form of torture developed by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. It was the worst form of torture known to humanity. First, you were flogged. And on the whips where they would flog you was shrapnel or small balls that would take the skin from your back and just leave it shredded. Many criminals died in the flogging. They were beaten, mocked, laughed, laughed at, jeered at, placed on a cross, nailed there, where you would experience dehydration and suffocation as the weight of your own body was collapsing in on itself. On Jesus, of course, they put a crown of thorns on his head where the thorns would have pierced into his skull. And while he's there, he hangs there naked. The cross, when we depict it, often we have Jesus with something on, and we should. But that wasn't what the cross was. The cross was meant to be a form of shame and humiliation as well as torture. And so criminals always hung naked. That's why they talked about casting lots for his clothes. Our Savior hung naked for us as the wrath of the Father is poured out on him on the cross. Not only did he go through the torture of the excruciating pain of what the Romans and Jewish people put him through, but the Father's wrath is poured out on him. 
And note what happens. One criminal on his left, the other on his right. And Jesus calls out to the people executing him, to the people crucifying him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He extends grace. He extends forgiveness. He extends love, even in those moments. While the people stood watching, the rulers sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They mock him. They make fun of him. They'd heard he'd perform these miracles. They'd heard he'd heal people. They heard he'd raise people to life again. Come on, Jesus, do something. If you're the Christ, the Son of God, show yourself to us. Do something spectacular. Do something miraculous. Save yourself. Come on. And they taunt him. They offer him wine vinegar. This is the one he rejects. We find that in Matthew. And in Mark, it had a dulling agent in it to take the edge off of the crucifixion so that you weren't fully experiencing the torture that was happening to you as your body was dying. But Jesus, knowing that he wasn't simply going to be tortured by the cross, but that he was going to become our sin on the cross, he was going to take all of our iniquity upon himself so that he could grant us his righteousness. He wanted to be of clear mind as he experienced the wrath of the Father on our behalf. And so he says no. Later on, of course, he does ask for a drink. So in his dehydrated moment, he can cry out, it is finished. Well, they're there mocking him, laughing at him, beating him, and he offers forgiveness. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. When I pastored James North for 28 years, 29 when you include I was there as an intern, and James North did a lot of good. This Christmas, it will hand out hampers to 300 families. It'll run soccer leagues for kids that have no other way to participate in sports in the summer but through James North. We built housing in our building, 45 apartments for a place for people to live. I mean, the church put three million of its dollars into the apartments. And I could go lots of places and be invited to lots of meetings where there were lots of non-Christians in those meetings. And when I was there at those meetings, they would talk about how great a job we did with Christmas hampers and soccer leagues and helping to bring a tutoring program to Hamilton and housing. And I was at a meeting before I was finished at James North with a number of leaders from our city. And in that meeting, I was talking about the housing and what that looked like and bringing a whole church along in that. And at some point they asked what drove our church, like what drives a church to do this? And I talked about Jesus Christ. I talked about who he is and what he means to us in the meeting. And one of the leaders of the meeting actually said this. He said this. He said, I actually thought you were quite intelligent until you said that. That's our world today. Because they're fine with Christmas hampers and soccer leagues. They're fine with housing. But to say you're doing it in Jesus' name because of what he's done for you, they don't understand that. Look at these quotes, the controversy of Jesus. H.G. Wells, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the, domi the most dominant figure in all of history. Gandhi. I cannot say that Jesus was uniquely divine. He was as much God as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad. Gorbachev. Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. Woody Allen. If Jesus came back and saw what was being done in his name, he wouldn't be able to stop throwing up. John Lennon. We're more popular than Jesus now. You mention his name, and there's all kinds of controversy about who he is and what he's done. Verse 38. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. They continue to mock him. They continue to laugh at him. There are two criminals there. We find out in the Gospel of Matthew that at one point they're both hurling insults at Jesus. The one continues to do so. The sign above him, the king of the Jews, right? If you're the Christ, save yourself, save us. Now, 
he's actually not believing it's going to happen. That's why it says he's hurling insults at Jesus. He's like, you're not who you said you were. You're not who we thought you were. You're dying here beside me. You're dying here beside me. And our world has done its best to eliminate God out of the equation. Our world has done its best to say God doesn't exist. I explained this a few weeks ago where the three predominant theories of the world are either nothing was able to create something, so you give nothing enough time and eventually it can make something. Number two, that matter has always existed and that matter was somehow able to move from an inorganic state to an organic state. Number three, there's a multiverse where we live in the universe that happens to have life, but it's of a variety or an array of multiverses or of, of universes, and we're the one that has life. And to our children in the public school system or in college or university, those are taught as fact. Though they may debate which one is the fact, they're taught as fact. But none of them are provable. They're all simply hypothesis, and they've eliminated the fact that God is a possibility, that God might be the one who created. Listen to this, Richard Dawkins. We are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further. And Christopher Hitchens from his book, God is Not Great. Thus, though I dislike to differ with such a great man, Voltaire was simply ludicrous when he said that if God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. The human invention of God is the problem to begin with. So you have the one criminal continuing to mock Jesus. If you're the Christ, save yourself. If you're really him, do something. Verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since we are under the same sentence. We are punished justly we're getting what our deeds deserve. This man, he's done nothing wrong. You see, these aren't petty thieves. Often we talk about the thief on the cross, but these aren't petty thieves. The Roman government did not crucify people for thievery. They crucified people for insurrection, for rebellion, for murder. These are criminals of the highest degree. They've tried to usurp Roman authority. They've attempted to take over the state. They've murdered someone. And now they're dying beside Jesus on the cross for their crimes. And like Matthew says, at one point, both of these criminals are mocking Jesus. And then at one point, the one criminal has a change of heart. Maybe it's because when you're on the cross, you try to get your blood on the people executing you. You try to urinate on the people executing you. Before you're dehydrated, you try to spit on the people that are killing you. When they're mocking you, you mock them back. And Jesus did none of that. As he's hanging, dying on the cross, having gone through the torture of crucifixion, and now the wrath of the Father being poured out on him, Jesus is going through hell on the cross. When people say they go through hell on earth, no one has gone through hell on earth. But Jesus was actually going through hell on the cross. That's what's happening in these moments. The wrath of the Father for our sin is being poured out on him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. John, would you take care of my mom? All this criminal hears from Christ is love and grace. And he realizes this man has done nothing wrong. Don't you fear God? Now, we don't like that terminology. It rubs us the wrong way. It's why Western culture has tried to eliminate God. Because if God doesn't exist, then we are at the top. If God doesn't exist, we have no one we're accountable to. If God doesn't exist, we get to make our decisions the way we want. If God doesn't exist, we have no one to tell us how to live. Don't you fear God? Because you see, if God exists, then we're creatures. We're creatures. He's made us. And if a being exists who is so powerful that he can speak the world into existence and sustain it by his might, who's so other 
that he stands and exists outside of time itself because he's created time. And that being is to be feared because I am a creature. Because I am a creature. And that being has the right to tell me how to live. Has the right to tell me what to do. Has the right to tell me who I am and who he is. And that being is a perfect being. He's holy. He's blameless. He's never done anything wrong. And the punishment, the penalty for sinning, for choosing to rebel against him, is not being welcomed into his presence. It's hell. Now, people say to me all the time, and especially when I would debate at universities, people would ask questions about hell, and they'd say, well, Dwayne, hell isn't fair. And I'd say, hell is fair. Listen, if for all of this life you say, I don't want God, I don't want God, I don't want God, I don't want God, God gives you exactly what you want. You don't get him. It's just not what you expect. You see, people expect not having hell like the old far side caricatures where there's some type of party going on and celebration. You see, in hell there is no love. In hell there is no beauty. In hell there is no joy. In hell there is no peace. In hell there is no hope. In fact, because God is triune, he's Father, Son, and Spirit, I believe in hell you are completely and utterly isolated from everyone else that you won't even know that anyone else is there. That's why I believe it's described as the weeping and gnashing of teeth. No hope, no joy, no peace, no love. But if for all of your life you say you don't want God, you don't want God, you don't want God, God gives you exactly what you asked for. You don't get him. It's just not what you expected. It's just not what you expected. Don't you fear God. Man says, we're being punished justly. This man's done nothing wrong. Sometimes I have people come up to me and the way they describe hell, they describe it as if other people deserve it, but they don't. If today you don't believe you were deserving of hell, you're not saved. You're simply not saved. You cannot be saved. I mean, what are you saved from? We are saved from the wrath of God. We are saved for the glory of God. That is why we're saved. We're saved for him. From an abandonment of his presence. And all of us equally are deserving of hell. All of us equally have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't you fear God? Well, our culture knows that they've made a mess. In their moments of clarity, they begin to declare that something about the way they've created the hypothesis for the existence of the universe doesn't work. Listen to this. This is Kai Nielsen. Suppose you suddenly hear a big bang, and you ask me what made the bang, and I reply, nothing. It just happened. You would not accept that. In fact, you would find my reply quite unintelligible. Right? I mean, imagine today you're on a walk, and you're in a forest, and you find a little rubber ball, and you're with a friend, and your friend says, wow, I think last week in the storm that the right atmospheric pressure and Storm conditions created the ball. You'd be like, pardon? None of us believe that. Now imagine if that ball was the size of a car. Still wouldn't change it. Well, they've made the ball the size of the universe and said it's possible. It's totally possible. But in their moments of clarity, some of them were saying, this doesn't make sense and it's not rational. Steve Jobs said this before he died. It's strange to think that you accumulate all this experience and it just goes away. So I really want to believe that something survives, that maybe your consciousness endures. I mean, I constantly take funerals for people that aren't believers. And they're always looking for, well, what's next? Well, where is my brother? Where is my father? Where is, where are they? Because within us is placed this yearning for eternity because we're creatures made by God with that yearning. And so here's this criminal dying beside Jesus, seeing his grace and mercy. And what does he do? Um, Jesus, would you, um, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Imagine that moment. 
Here's a man who was forgotten. You see, when you were crucified, you died alone. The only people that came to watch you be crucified were your executioners. You were your mother's heartache. You were your father's embarrassment. You were there alone, forgotten. Have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt alone? Jesus, would you remember me? Do you somehow have it in you to remember me? When you come into your kingdom, that's remarkable. He's watching Jesus die. He's watching the blood flow from him. But somehow in the way he responds, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Somehow in the way he interacts with grace and love and peace and hope, he realizes that the man hanging here beside him, there's something unique about him, and he has a kingdom. At his weakest moment, as he's living on planet Earth, the criminal beside him realizes this man has something to do with my eternity. Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And in that moment, as he's hanging there, we recognize that we are also that criminal. Now you may say, whoa, whoa, whoa Dwayne, I've never had the police show up at my door. I've never been charged with anything. Listen, sin isn't just when we're outwardly rebelling against God. Sin is also putting anything in place of God. I've been listening to Tim Keller since he's passed away on the podcast every morning when I'm cycling to the gym, and this is from him lately, but as, as I'm listening to Keller, I just, I just love this, right? The first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I am supreme, no other gods before me. And so what happens is, when you're thinking about your own life, when you just have spare time, when you don't have to think about what's next for your family, what does your mind naturally go to? What do you most naturally think about when you have nothing to think about? Is it a hobby? Is it vacation? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? The same is true of your money. When you have money that's just kind of left over, right? You don't have to pay rent or mortgage. That's done. Groceries are taken care of. What do you most naturally look to spend your money on? Because whatever you most naturally go to to spend your money, whatever you most naturally go to to think about, that's your God. That's your God. And whenever we place anything in our lives ahead of him, that is sin. And so we're all criminals. We're all criminals in need of a savior. And if Jesus ever had the right to say to someone, go to hell, in this moment he did. This man wasn't going to become a missionary. He wasn't going to become an elder. He wasn't going to serve the Lord in any way. All he was going to do is die. But look at the words of our Savior. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. These words you can depend on. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Are those not great words? Because Jesus wasn't saving this man because he'd become a missionary. Jesus wasn't saving this man because he could become an elder in a church. Jesus wasn't saving a man because he could save him. Jesus saved him just because Jesus loves and delights to save. Praise his name. Jesus hasn't saved you for all the things you can do for him. Jesus has saved you because of all of the things he has done for you. And we reverse this all the time. Jesus has saved you because he loves you. Jesus has saved you because he's gracious. Jesus has saved you because he wants to extend hope and peace and love and joy into your life and heart. Jesus has saved you because God is love and he cares for you. And he was abandoned on the cross. My God, my God, why have you? He was abandoned on the cross as the second person of our triune God experienced an interruption in the fellowship he had always enjoyed with the Father and the Spirit as he became our sin on the cross. Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that we could be welcomed into his kingdom. Jesus, do you have it in you to remember me when you come into your kingdom? I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me 
in paradise. And so I think of Chrissy. She was 18 years old, not a believer, when she was starting to connect with us. Her boyfriend, 17. She was a cheerleader. He was like the high school football guy, right? It was like the high school couple, right? Lived in Burlington, and he gets her pregnant. And it's a mess. And nobody knows what to do. And I'm meeting with them, and I'm walking with them, and I'm sharing Jesus with them. I'll never forget one night sitting in a Tim Hortons where they're sitting, and she just realized, Jesus loves me. For all of my mess, for all of my sin, for all that I've done, he loves me. Jesus loves me. And that night God saved her. She went home and she told his parents who were believers and her parents who weren't believers. And in the next few weeks, God saved him. And, and I've been able to journey with them for years now. This is now a couple of decades ago. And their oldest daughter, who was the one they were pregnant with, just got married. I mean, it is amazing what God has done in this family's life. And she's now the children's ministry director at one of our local Fellowship Baptist churches. God is that good. He can save anyone. It is the good news of the gospel. He loves and delights to save. I forgot. She was introducing me when I was speaking at their church recently. And I forgot um, that I was also there when her husband engaged to her, asked her to marry him. I forgot that there were the three of us there when that happened at that proposal that's just an odd moment in a pastor's life when you are there for a proposal. And uh, it happened because I said, you know, they decided to keep the baby. They decided to get married. God was at work in both their lives. I'd baptize them. Their children, like their kids, they're like now 18 and 19 when this is all happening. Or still, she may have still been 18, even I don't remember. And, and, um, and he had turned 18. And, uh, and I remember being in a Subway restaurant with them this time and said to him, Glenn, you should ask Chrissy to marry you. And he said, I will. Chrissy, will you marry me? And I'm... <laughs> So she shared that story recently. Dwayne was there when God saved me and when I got engaged. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't happen very often. And I think of Truen. Truen grew up in a Buddhist home. I mean, the atrocities this young man had done and the weight of his sin upon him. And he heard the gospel and God saved him. And he came to us and he's being discipled and he's growing in his faith. And he says, I want to be baptized. And it's December. And, um, and it's the middle of December, and I meet with him, and this glorious story of God's goodness that I knew, but heard him recount. And he said, Pastor, he said, I want to get baptized in the lake. And I'm like, that's problematic. It's December. And, and he said, well, my sin was so great that I want to show everyone that God's Grace is greater. I wanted them to see that his grace is greater than even Lake Ontario and how big it is. And I was so moved that I said, one of our staff would love to baptize you in the lake. <laughs> and then I drove him down to the lake and he saw something ice on it and he said, yeah, the tank's fine. Tank's fine. God can save anyone. It is such good news because he's a great God. Listen to this, John Stott. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I turned to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wretched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He set aside his immunity to pain, he entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. But do you know what the good news is? Anyone, whoever comes to him, anytime, can be saved. He never turns anyone away. He never says no to anyone. Anyone who ever comes to him and says, I've got this mess. My life's just a mess. God, I've been leading it, and it's only led to mess. All this sin, this weight that I don't know how to get rid of. Would you remember me in your kingdom? He never turns anyone away. And maybe today you've come here for the first time. You've been visiting, and you don't know the Lord. Or maybe you're here watching the baptisms. You've heard the testimony of what God's done in young people's lives. They didn't just get baptism because it's baptized because it's a hot tub, though this is very nice. People have said to me, what's the main difference between James North and, and West Highland? I said, it can be encapsulated in this. We baptize in a horse trough. They use a hot tub. I said, that's, that's just kind of what happens. Um, and I said, I like the hot tub. It's kind of nice. But I've been baptized, so I won't do that again. Um, listen, maybe you came here for the baptisms and you heard the testimonies of what God's done. 
and you've been sitting here and God's Spirit has been at work in your life even today, He's at work in your life because He loves you and He longs to have a relationship with you. And when you have a relationship with Him, what does Jesus say? I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I tell you, anyone who ever turns to Him, anyone who ever comes to Him and says, Jesus, do you have it in you? to remember me in your kingdom. His voice from heaven is always the same. I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise. Praise the name of our God. He loves to save. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful that you loved us so much that you would send your son. And Jesus, we're thankful that you came and God, for those of us that are here today that know you, may, may we be reminded of the grace that you offer us by way of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, and delight today in what he's done. And Jesus, for those of us that are here today that don't know you, we're sitting here and we know we don't know you, and your Spirit has been at work in our life. Oh, may today be the day where we come to you, Jesus, and acknowledge our need for you asking you to remember us, turning from our sin to you. And may we hear you declare that we will be with you in paradise because you are a God who loves to save. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah! Our God saves. He loves to save. And if Jesus has spoken to you today, if you're standing here today right now and he's talked to you, I would encourage you to come and talk to me, to talk to someone at the welcome desk, pastoral staff that was on the platform today. There's godly people that may have brought you here today for the baptisms. And let them know that God's been at work in your life. They'd be delighted to hear it and ecstatic to share who Jesus is with you. He loves to save. This is the written notice above him. It read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? We are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And God's people said, Amen. What a great God. Enjoy your day in the Lord.